Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for November 21st. I'm your host, Ashley Wallace. This week, we will hear the annual Thanksgiving Feast Survey, which measures the cost of traditional Thanksgiving meal food items in Arkansas and around the country. And we will get a complete update on this year's cotton harvest from agronomist Bill Robertson. We also hear from Colonel Nate Todd, Secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs, about the recent Vets for Ag Summit. And we'll learn about a recent Young Farmers and Ranchers trip to our nation's capital to discuss issues critical to farmers and ranchers. First, Arkansas Farm Bureau's Ken Moore talks to Mark Lambert, Director of Commodity Activities and Economics for Arkansas Farm Bureau. Lambert discusses the results of Arkansas Farm Bureau's annual survey of the cost of a classic Thanksgiving dinner and compares them to the results of a nationwide survey conducted by American Farm Bureau. I'm Ken Moore, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're revealing the results of Arkansas Farm Bureau's 34th annual survey of food items included in the traditional Thanksgiving Day feast. This year, our survey reveals that it will cost $57.75 for a family of 10, or under $6 per person. Now, that's up a little bit. That's up from $52.93 a year ago, but still a relative bargain for consumers. And I'm going to be discussing the results of our survey with Mark Lambert. Mark is Director of Commodity Activities and Economics for Arkansas Farm Bureau, and uh, Mark... uh, even though our survey price went up somewhat over last year at under $6 a person, this is still a very affordable meal for consumers who go into the supermarkets, want to prepare their own dinner, and shop on a budget. They can still enjoy this meal very affordably, can't they? Yes, Ken, that, that is correct. For $5.78 a person for a family of 10, um, I would think that that it is extremely affordable for American consumers or Arkansas consumers to go in and, and have a Thanksgiving meal, um, sit around the dinner table at Thanksgiving. So let's break it down. Uh, why did the survey go up? Now, I want to uh, emphasize again, as we did one year ago, that uh, we partner with the American Farm Bureau Federation. This is a national survey, something we've been partnering with the American Farm Bureau for the last 34 years. And a year ago, American Farm Bureau added three new items to the shopping list for our uh, volunteer shoppers. And those three items were a five-pound bag of russet potatoes, a uh, four-pound half bone-in ham, and then a package of frozen green beans. Uh, Adding those items to uh, the shopping list increased the overall price of the meal just by adding those items. But once you do that, you still come out for under $6 a person. So let's kind of break it down. The drivers of the survey every year, of course, are the protein items, the uh, centerpiece, if you will, of the dinner, the 16-pound frozen turkey and the half bone in ham. Talk about uh, what our shoppers found uh, for those items. Uh, Like like you said, Ken, the main driver of the the high, high price of the Thanksgiving meal is the protein sources, which is your turkey and your ham. Uh, this year, we're looking at an increase of, of price in the turkey of roughly $0.30 cents in the turkey and roughly $0.40 cents in the ham per, on a per-pound basis. Um, typically, what, what we see here in Arkansas is that we, we don't really have those facilities here in Arkansas, so they have to be trucked in from out of state, um, especially in, in the pork realm. Um, pork is shipped in from from other other states 
Um, and as well as if you're looking at cold, cold storage stocks, production uh, typically in the protein sector has been extremely high in the last for the last five years, setting setting record levels of production. But you start looking at your at your inventories in cold storage, and the cold storage inventories have decreased from last year, roughly fifteen percent um, in turkeys, and the bone-in ham is is up. But uh, like I said, that cold storage prices there they are inventories they're they're up um looking if you take the classic thanksgiving meal it is below it's 45 dollars and 64 cents if you take those three items out which is really affordable four dollars and 56 cents per person uh, on the meal and i added those because a lot of families like to include turkey along with the ham uh they uh, and include uh, options, you know, uh, of having both ham or turkey on the Thanksgiving dinner table, along with mashed potatoes in addition to sweet potatoes. Talk about other drivers of the meal. So speaking on, on the dairy terms, uh, price per hundredweight from this time last year on, on dairy of raw milk has gone up by uh, at least almost 20%. Um, that That's due to the fact that uh, a shortage of milk and production. They were they were projecting production being up on milk, and it and it wasn't as much as what it was. Um, so dairy dairy products in in the survey saw the largest percentage increase in our in our survey, while um, other other drivers just had small small decreases or increases. And what about uh, adding the uh, russet potatoes in? How does that factor in at all? Um, looking at the russet potatoes this year, they, they actually decreased in price by almost 50 cents a pound, um, which was half the price of last year. Uh, I think record production, um, up in the potato growing region, up in the, uh, Idaho and Maine area, uh, was a main driver in that, but they're also, uh, seeing strong demand in that potato market, uh, not just domestically, but also internationally. What's your just overall take on how affordable the meal is? Uh, the fact that, you know, when we report that uh, you can enjoy and prepare this meal yourself for under $6 a person, uh, if you shop wisely and take advantage of in-store specials, a lot of people still find that a little hard to believe. Yes. Um, so American consumers typically, of all the if, of all the countries in the world, typically spend less of their disposable income on, on food. Um, and that's wholly due to the part that we have a safe, efficient, and uh, extremely sustainable uh, agriculture production system here in the United States, um, which, which through different processing facilities and innovations in, in either technology, agriculture sector, or processing, we, we start seeing those costs go down. And that, that has trickled back to the consumer on a on when you go to the supermarket and look there at, at the prices there. Um, so looking relatively speaking, $5 and 78 cents. I, I mean, that's extremely affordable to, to every consumer when they sit down, they can sit there and, and, you know, go back to the consumer and, or a consumer can go back to the supermarket and trickle back down to the farmer and really thank the farmer that, that they have uh, provided such an affordable food system here in, here in the United States. And our farmers and ranchers, Mark, as you know, had to overcome, and they do this almost every year, 
uh, severe challenges from weather and growing conditions. We uh, dealt with some severe flooding back in the spring during the planting season. A lot of crops were planted late, and then late in the growing season, right in the middle of harvest, if you will, uh, we experienced almost a two-month drought. It was extremely dry, but they still were able to produce affordable food and overcome those challenges. That is correct. Uh, here in here in Arkansas, I mean, you you started looking at soybean production here in Arkansas, and I think we had a, roughly a five hundred thousand acre decrease in um, in planting this year due to the flooding. And then once the once the crops got planted, everybody was concerned that maybe it wasn't going to yield as much, or the price was still down due to global trade concerns. Um, but progressively throughout the growing season. Um, they said, let's, let's take it to harvest. Let's see, see what we have here. And right about harvest time is when the global trade concerns kind of eased and they started seeing these prices trickle back up, whether it be corn, uh, soybeans and, or rice, um, here in Arkansas. Um, so that was, that was a big help to the farmers that, that during that planting season or planting window, they saw the struggles there and they were really worried about their farms, but at, and one other factor that I want to point out is that, uh, you know, many consumers who do not live on the farm, don't come from farm families, don't realize how little the uh, American farmer and rancher receives uh, on the farm, at the farm gate, uh, from the uh, consumer food dollar. They only receive like eight cents out of every dollar spent on food here in the United States. That's amazing. That, that is um so farmers are the only people that buy it, buy it retail and sell it wholesale. So um, looking back at eight, they only have 8% of that whole dollar. Um, and that's, that really goes to show that the farmer is really um, working, working extremely hard to help keep that price down, to help keep the consumer, um, to make their food very, very affordable. Um uh, the rest of that dollar either goes to processing or or trucking or uh, transportation or what what have you labor cost. Um, so the eight eight percent going back to the farmer that's that's huge in um, American agriculture. And now in 2019, less than two percent uh, of uh, of the U.S. population produces our food and fiber. You know the farm and ranch families. Uh, the number of them actively involved in agriculture continues to diminish. Uh, so fewer farmers are producing more food uh, by volume. And so that in itself is a testament, I think, to the efficiency of our food production system. Right. And looking at looking at just Arkansas's economy here, I mean, you start looking at it. It's a $21 billion industry here in Arkansas, agriculture is. And there's only 45,000 farms here in Arkansas, and roughly 97% of those are family farms. So they're they're sitting down just like every other consumer here at Thanksgiving, thinking thinking what they have and thinking that their family is sitting around their families. Out of a population of three million, and you have 45,000 farms in Arkansas, and that number that number slowly dwindles as consolidation becomes a real a reality here in Arkansas. We do have many multi-generational farms here in Arkansas and across the country for which we should all be very, very grateful that they are utilizing the latest in technology and research to continue to produce such an abundant and affordable food supply. It's a, it's a tradition here in the United States 
for many, many churches and charitable organizations to uh, prepare the meal and feed those less fortunate so that everyone can enjoy this meal. Again, uh, we're reporting that uh, this year's annual survey reveals that it will cost $57.75 or less than $6 per person to enjoy the Thanksgiving dinner. And it's a joy just to be able to conduct this survey and report on how affordable our Thanksgiving dinner remains. Uh, Mark, thanks for sharing your insights on this with us on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Thank you, and everybody get out and enjoy Thanksgiving and enjoy the holidays. Next, I sat down with Jennifer Craig, Arkansas Farm Bureau's Young Farmers and Ranchers Coordinator, to talk about the recent trip the YFNR State Committee took to Washington, D.C., and what the committee was able to take away from the trip. We're here today with Jennifer Craig, the YFNR Program Coordinator, and she's going to explain to us a little bit about the program. Yeah, so our Young Farmer and Rancher program is for our young leaders, 18 to 35, 40 age range, and it's designed to engage those young farmers that are either carry on with their family farm or maybe are new farmers um, and get them into our Farm Bureau program and help them with leadership skills and advocacy skills. So they recently just took a trip to D.C.? Tell me about that. Yeah, so our state Young Farmer and Rancher Committee, which is made up of representatives from all over the state, were able to go to Washington, D.C., and it was a great trip because they were able to meet with their senators and representatives and have some one-on-one time with them to talk about issues that are affecting them and also be a voice for agriculture in Arkansas. We also had a chance to visit with several different uh, federal agencies, the EPA, uh, USTR, USDA, and those were great meetings as well because they were able to get some questions answered and voice some concerns that they had, and also just really making those connections with those agencies so that if there are issues that come up in the future, they'll be able to have a contact that they can reach out to to help them with those. Along with those agency visits, it was a good chance for our state committee to be able to get a chance to work with each other. Uh, We did some fun things also. Of course, we're in Washington, D.C., so we want to see the history that's there. We were able to do a segue tour of all of the monuments and uh, attend some ceremonies in Arlington Cemetery. And it was really just a chance for those leaders that we have on the state committee to be able to learn a little bit more about the federal government and spend some time in our nation's capital. What do you think the committee members took away from this trip? I think what the committee members were able to take away is that they have a voice for agriculture. And even though it's on the federal level, uh, the congressmen and representatives really want to hear from them and they want to hear about the issues that are affecting them. And so it makes it easier for them to reach out in the future and to know that they have somebody there representing them and they can connect with them. Do you think that the YFNR program leads to young farmers and ranchers becoming interested in being in the Farm Bureau board later in life? I do. I think it's a really good entry point for them to get a chance to learn about Farm Bureau and what Farm Bureau is about and then also gain those skills that they would need to be leaders on their county and state level in the future. How does somebody go about joining um, the YFNR program or committee? So our wife and our program is open to anybody that is in the age, like I said, between 18 and that 35 to 40 age range. And so if you're on the county level and you want to join the county wife and you can contact your county board of directors and ask them about what they have going on there. And then on the state level, our 
nominations are made uh, through those districts and those just come from those county leaders that have been active so if you are interested in being on the state committee I would say the best thing to do is to become active in your county and then you'll have a chance from there to be a part of that is the DC trip something you do every year um, our wife and our DC trip is every other year so our state committee members are on a two-year rotation so this allows for us to have a trip for them this allows for them to go at least once during their time on the committee one of the best ways to get involved with our Young Farmer and Ranchers program is to attend the conference that we have every year. And this is for our young farmers statewide. This year it's going to be February 7th through 9th uh, in Hot Springs at the Hotel Hot Springs. So be looking for the letter going out about that conference and information on our Facebook page and as well as registration forms. I would just encourage anybody that is involved in agriculture, whether you own a farm, or you're working on a farm, or you're just involved in the peripheral, to get involved with our Young Farmer Program because it is for anybody that wants to help advocate for agriculture, and we welcome anybody that is in that position. Awesome. Thanks so much. Now, Ken interviews Colonel Nate Todd about the success of the recent Veterans for Agriculture Summit and why a career in agriculture is a good fit for Arkansas veterans. I'm Ken Moore, and I'm at Arkansas Tech University, where we've just concluded the third Veterans for Ag Summit here uh, in Russellville, and I'm spitting, sitting and visiting with uh, Secretary Nate Todd, uh, Colonel Todd, if you will. Uh, he is the Secretary of the Arkansas Department of Veterans Affairs, and uh, Secretary Todd, thank you so much for kind of visiting with me now as we uh, get ready to conclude this uh, third Vets for Ag Summit. We partner with your office, Arkansas Farm Bureau does, as well as the Arkansas Agriculture Department uh, and other state agencies to conduct these Vets for Ag Summits. Why, in your mind, are they so important in reaching veterans who can perhaps want to transition into agriculture? Well, information and knowledge is key to success in many endeavors and in farming. And Farm Bureau seems to have the agility to bring to the table that knowledge and the current knowledge and the network to bring panelists to the table that can share with our veterans. It is important that that veteran get current information and someone to guide them in the questions that they may have. Assess the success in your mind of these summits uh, in reaching the veterans. Well, each of the summits have gotten better. We've learned from them. We had a great opportunity in northeast Arkansas with Arkansas State University. Then we were down in south Arkansas at Monticello. And the focus there was forestry, which is big in that part of the state. And now in kind of midwest, northwest Arkansas, this river valley. And it's important that we go to each region the agriculture and the farming industry is different regionally in our state. So that ability to cross the state and get that information to the farmers where they are so they don't have to travel all day and get to an informational session like we've had. Why is agriculture such a good fit for our military veterans as they transition out of active duty? Well, Mr. Moore, we talked about it today, the character that farmers have, the character that we learn in our military, and the peace that I see in farmers. They're, they're reserved, but they're powerful at the same time. And 
that's an ethos of the farmer, and I think it's the ethos of the military personnel that we're going to get about doing the work, delivering the product that we can be proud of. And no, no doubt about that. Uh, a lot of the active duty uh, veterans, they've witnessed and experienced many things. I've spoken to several that have done several tours over in the Middle East, the younger veterans, if you will, uh, that are in their 30s or 40s. And they're coming home. They need something that's maybe agriculture has its own stress level, if you will, uh, and you've got some risk involved. But uh, they're looking for something that, as we said today, they can be their own boss uh, and they can just do something productive. They've learned the skill set, but they need to kind of, you know, kind of have a low stress type of environment to get away from what they've witnessed in active duty. Why is this such an important part of it? You don't experience some of the things that our veterans have experienced, and you are the same. It can be very powerful, and you're wanting to be some, be part of something bigger than yourself, like you've been in, say, in Afghanistan or Iraq. But it's also important that they have quiet time. And out there on the farm with your own thoughts, being productive, that can be soothing, I would think. And I think that's important to our veterans. Yeah, if you're just raising animals, caring for animal uh, welfare, and whether it's livestock, cattle, swine, poultry, there's something calming about that, isn't there? It is, and I can see it in our veterans. But they also need camaraderie, and that's why it's important that they join the farm ag groups and they get registered in network. Uh, you also need that connectivity and, and cooperatives and the Farm Bureau and the vet to ag organizations are important that they also belong. What services uh, can your office provide for our veterans to help them transition into this way of life? Our governor and our legislators, we now have eight district offices. We have one in Jonesboro. We have one in Fayetteville. We have one in Mountain Home, Hope, Arkansas, Monticello, Russellville, and in Central Arkansas, and in Fort Smith. We cover the state. The veteran and each county has a county veteran service officer. They go through an annual training. And over the last couple of years, we've trained in three areas. One, ensuring that that county veteran service officer understand the eligibility for claims. Second is the VA health care system. And now the farming opportunity for many veterans. So we ask those veterans to engage your county veteran service officer they are mostly part-time. They're in the office two or three times a week. So understand their hours, but get to know them. They will have current information across a broad sector of areas. And then get to know your district veteran service officer also. We are collaborating with so many agencies, the Department of Labor, the Department of Agriculture, and with private entities like the Farm Bureau. So that information that that county veteran service officers can provide to that veteran is important. Please engage them. How many veterans, I think it was mentioned at some point in our discussion today, uh, how many veterans we actually have that are in this kind of gray area where they're transitioning away from active duty, need something else to do with the rest of their lives, 
uh, that could utilize these services. Do you know how many there are in Arkansas that uh, kind of could benefit from this program? There's a couple of parts of that. One, 1,400 Arkansans join our military every year. There are different, then once they serve, there are different points in their life. I've seen some data that said even out of the Little Rock Air Force Base, there's approximately two to 300 veterans that stay in Arkansas after their tour is up in from the Little Rock Air Force Base. So that's the transitioning. And then those 1,400 that go and serve our military, at the three, four-year mark, they're transitioning, and we want them to come home. And we want them to come home to great jobs, to great entrepreneurial opportunities, and to great schools and great communities. So we want them to come home. And for those that have retired uh, in the geographical area, we want a few states that do not tax retired military pay. So we have a great environment, of course. The quality of life in Arkansas is great. So not only those that are trans- transitioning from the Little Rock Air Force Base, but if you've got a nephew or a niece that's transitioning from Fort Hood, tell them to go on our website, uh, the Arkansas Department of Veterans Affairs website, and we can help them come back home. That's great. Colonel Todd, thank you for your involvement, your agency's involvement, the Department of Veterans Affairs, in partnering with us on these Vets for Ag Summits. And let's just, it's exciting to think and think about what the future holds. Yes, sir. Ms. Moore, I want to thank you and want to thank Farm Bureau for your agility to help us put these on. Been speaking with Colonel Nate Todd, the Secretary with the Arkansas Department of Veterans Affairs on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Finally, Keith Sutton talks to Bill Robertson, a cotton agronomist with the Cooperative Extension Service, about this year's cotton harvest and gets his thoughts on selecting varieties to plant next spring. Welcome to AgCast. This is Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today I'm at the Newport Extension Center and I'm visiting with Bill Robertson. Bill is the Cotton Extension Agronomist for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service. Welcome, Bill. <laughs> Thanks, Keith. Uh, always happy to visit with you. And, you know, harvest is, is winding down. Usually, usually we're, we're done by now. And uh, we still have about not quite 10% of the crops still in the state. And, you know, I was looking on the weather. Uh, they're saying right now, if we was the month was to end right now, it'd, it'd likely be the the coldest temperatures we've had on record. And you know, it's caught some of our cotton pickers, our cotton farmers, a little bit by surprise. And and it, some of our watering systems on the cotton headers have froze up. And we had we had some plots we were going to try to pick yesterday, and <laughs> couldn't get the water water thawed out going to the moisture pads. So anyway, so they're going to either get up today or tomorrow. But, you know, there's a few things like that that, you know, was, you know we can put antifreeze in and things like that. But I, but I think we're we're pretty much going for the most part. And it looks like the weather's going to hold off and, and be in the field maybe through, all the way through Wednesday. If we do that, then we ought to become really close to knocking this thing in the head by then. But, you know, I think back before this last set of rains, we were harvesting plots. And, and there were some things that really surprised me out there, Keith, when, when we were harvesting. One is that cotton is staying really, really white. You know, a lot of times when we get this late in the season, when we've had the rains, uh, you know, our, our color kind of takes it on the chin. We start getting some, uh, uh, we lose the white, start getting more and more gray. You know, our colors drop down in, into some of our, our uh, 
uh, you know, out of it, out of the elevens and the twenty ones and the thirty ones and and down into uh, you know forty twos, forty threes, and we get the the whites and the light, the light spots and the and the spotting, but it's holding really good now. And another thing that surprised me is how dry it was. Because, you know, most of the snow, you know, when you pick and cotton, especially if anybody worked in a cotton trailer, even even uh, packing modules, when the cotton's really dry, you can mash it down and it fluffs back up. Well, even some of the round modules, Keith, when we were weighing those, they're not, they're not quite as heavy as a lot of times we see, especially this time of the year. Because when the cotton kind of gets a little damp and, and all that, it packs really, really tight. And, and it's not unusual for those round modules to, to easily weigh over 5,000 pounds. But even then, you know, we were seeing a lot of, we made full-size modules in this cotton. It was only weighing about, oh, 46, 47, 4,800 pounds. So I was expecting the round modules to be a little bit heavier. But anyway, so I think that's telling me that we, we got good seed size. And, and that's kind of what we're seeing. Everybody I talked to, we're seeing really good yields. And even on the test, the last test that I helped pick was planted over the Memorial Day weekend. And... Uh, the low end of, of the yield on the different varieties were in around 1,350 pounds or so, and the high end was, was you know, a little over 1,500 pounds. A lot of our yield tests, you know, our, our range is, is kind of being, you know, from the 13, 1,400 pounds to the 1,900 pounds. So we've got, there's some big differences in the, in the varieties, and we got some really, I think, some good varieties that are coming on that, that are, that are, that are going to look good. But everybody I'm talking to, Especially, you know, the merchants and the generators talking about how good the quality is this year. It's so much better than it was last year. And then our yields are really holding in. Uh, the the last, uh, the October uh, uh, National Ag Statistics, or the NASH report, had us at 1,157 pounds. And I really think we have a good opportunity to break that. Because, you know, if you look at what's going on, and you look back over time, Keith, the years that we've made really good yields... Are been the years that if the cotton made that bowl and we got it in the basket, that's when we made the good yields. Because a lot of times the cotton makes a big crop and we lose it to bow rot or it falls out. You know, some of this later cotton starting to shatter a little bit. There's a little bit on the ground, but it's starting to shatter, which is to be expected because we get that plant weathering and all that. But um, but for the most part, if the cotton plant made it, it's going in the basket. It's going in the module, and those are years that we make the really good yields on. Uh, so, so I really think there's an opportunity for us to, to, to maybe even beat that. 1157 would be our second best yield ever. But, you know, the thing that's on the front of pretty much all the cotton growers' minds and the consultants' minds right now are variety selection. Um, I've got 12 locations in the state. <laughs> As of the other day, I only had four picked and ginned. Uh, we got another one that's been picked and hadn't been ginned, but but we got here in the next couple of days, we're going to knock three of those out. So between now and Wednesday, I really expect we'll have, if if not all of our variety tests done, we'll have most of them. And so we're tr- getting that up on the internet as quick as we can. I did a blog, an Arkansas Row Crop blog, so people can kind of get up to date there. I visit with Dr. Borland. He's in the process of uh, still harvesting his and ginning his and his his target right now is to have yield data complete by Thanksgiving. Tell folks who Dr. Borland is in case they don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good point. Is Dr. Borland? He's our he's our plant breeder. Uh, he's 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 world renowned. He's 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 you know we're just so lucky to have Dr. Borland on 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 our staff here uh, with the with the University of Arkansas System Division of Ag. 
but he's released a lot of varieties over time. But anyway, he's the one that does what, what the industry calls the OVT, the official variety trial. And so he takes a ton of data on things. We have height data, maturity data. We have, uh, not only do we have just the, the basic HVI data, but we have yield components and where that where, where the yield comes from. Because he even gets so deep into that, Keith, some varieties get most of their yield from having a lot of fiber on an individual seed. Some varieties get their yield from producing just a lot of seed per acre. And so he kind of breaks some of those things down. And, and uh, sometimes having a, that, that sweet spot between those is really what we need to give us the stability. So you can really get into the details on different varieties on their selection by looking at his data. When you look at my data, it's not nearly as many varieties as he has. Uh, usually we, we work with the seed companies and we have two entries per seed company. And we look at those across a lot of different locations and we kind of see how kind of the cream of the crop compares to one another. And so taking a combination between uh, what the farmers do, because most farmers I work with try a few varieties on their farm. So they know what different varieties do on their farm. And then I think it's very important for them to visit with their neighbor farmers and, and even with their consultants, because the consultants have a tremendous network among themselves and then with extension specialists too, to see how varieties perform. And then we got my tests that we do across the different, different counties. And then we can kind of kind of get our go-to list. And then if we really want to get down into the specifics on different varieties, you know, Dr. Boylan's state is there. So we can do, I think we can make very educated decisions on that. But, you know, when we talk about varieties, there, there are a ton of varieties that, you know, when you look on paper that a person could buy. But, you know, this year, almost two-thirds of our crop is planted into two varieties. And generally, you know, like three or four, sometimes five varieties. You know, this year, four varieties makes up well over 80%, probably pretty close to 90% of the acres out there. And so it's pretty easy for people to come up. Here's, 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 my, here's, my, here's my shopping list. But a lot of times, some of those varieties, we've got some new varieties. We've got some Bogard three varieties that are coming on. We're doing some testing with nematode-resistant varieties that look really good. I think we're going to have tremendous potential. But a lot of times, we get our go-to variety list but sometimes they run out of seed. And so, mm-hmm. so the hard part is saying, okay, what are my plan B varieties or my plan C varieties? And that's where seed companies are wanting people to place their orders uh, between Thanksgiving and the first of the year. But the quicker they can get their seed orders turned in, the better chances they have on getting their, 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 their A plan varieties. <laughs> so let's talk about where they can find the information about the varieties that y'all are going to okay. present. Now, my my information that we do working with the county agents in the in the large plot county test, and and Dr. Boylan's tests is, are all found in one location for the University of Arkansas Division of Ag, and that's uh, the the easiest way I can tell people to, to go is is get online and Google Arkansas Variety Testing, and that'll bring that up that website. Use on mine when I Google that, that's the first selection I do. So click on that. And then you can scroll down and you got the option to click on cotton, soybeans, corn, wheat, all the all our variety tests that the experiment station does, the extension does, is located on that one easy convenient source. That's a good place for people to go to get started, start getting ready for next year, placing their seed orders, like you say. What oh, exactly. El- what else do we want to share? Can you talk a little bit toward uh where this year's yields were compared or 
not yields, the amount of cotton that was planted this year compared to recent years. Where where do we stand with that? Was it up or down? Yeah, you know, I think, I know I was very surprised at how much cotton we planted because we had, we had some real hiccups during planting season with right. rains and all that. And uh, I really didn't, you know, we were forecast to plant uh, over half a million acres, uh, close to 600,000. And um, I really thought we were going to be hard-pressed to break half a million acres. And and we busted 600,000. And so we planted a lot more acres than, than what we expected. But, you know, as you drive through the country, you see a, a lot more cotton than what, we, what we've seen in the past. And we've got people that are planting cotton where they hadn't planted cotton before or not in a long time. Like in White County, there's places where they hadn't had cotton in some of those fields in like 60 or 70 years, I believe, from, from visiting with folks. So, so it is kind of expanding out. Um, I don't know, you know, the, the price was, was, was pretty favorable at planting time. And now then with a price with a six in the front of it, you know, in the 60 cent range, that kind of takes some of the optimism out. Uh, but I think there's, they're talking about, uh, OA Cleveland and some of the others are talking about, you know, the potential for 70 cent cotton right around the corner. And, uh, but you know, when we look at, at the programs that are out there and the things that are going, uh, I really feel like cotton acres are, are going to be pretty stable, um, especially, you know, when we come in and, and we have good yields, then uh, usually that's, that's, uh, that entices people to kind of keep planting cotton. And then if we have good yields and a good price, then, then stand back because uh, we're going to plant a lot more. But, you know, really, when you look at our infrastructure, you know, we've, we're, we've got a couple new gens that are coming online this year. I think the one in, in Winchester is getting real close to being able to be online. But we've got some new gens. And, but the big thing is, is, is our picking power. Uh, you know, when, when you have a machine that costs 750000 plus new, it, you know, that's, that's an awful big commitment because there's only one thing you can do with that machine is run, cotton, run it over a cotton patch. And so uh, we've, we've kind of got some of our infrastructure a little maxed out because some of those pickers, you know, when you visit with a farmer, the farmer says, well, I need about 2,000 acres to justify one of those new uh, yellow and green onboarding uh, module and pickers. Uh, but, you know, when you, when you look at season-long acreage average, uh, per day, that's about 85 acres. And uh, so our target completion date on harvest is November 1. And with this weather, you can certainly see why, because we're getting into a situation where, you know, we have a one or two day or maybe three day picking window. This is very, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that we've got, we've got another five, six days in front of us now. So this is going to be a huge window from what we've had, uh, except from the very start on this year. Uh, but you know, just the logistics on getting everything harvested. You know, when you look at a machine that costs that much, you need to have a lot of acres. So the bottom line is we need to have we need to have a picker in the field by the middle of September if we're gonna finish on time. And so we need to so those are some of the things that I talk to consultants and growers about is you know, we need to pick, you know, you know, some of our varieties that are doing really well right now are some of our fuller season varieties for Arkansas. I think they're they're labeled as a mid mid maturity. But we need some early maturing varieties planted on the front end so we can get a picker in the field so we're not strung out picking almost to Thanksgiving. Our farmers are always facing some kind of difficulties, but uh, this has been a pretty good year, uh, looking favorable maybe for next year if the weather holds. 
yeah, you know, every every year's different, and that's why you know I really enjoy some some of our farmers have a lot of years experience. And I was visiting yeah. with a, with a farmer the other day that I, I do a lot of work with. He said, you know, he said Bill, I've been farming for forty years. I said, well, you got forty years experience growing cotton. He said, well, not exactly. I got forty experiences growing cotton, because <laughs> <laughs> every year's different and presents new challenges, and and I think that's part of why why the people that 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 uh, everybody in the U.S. relies on to grow their food and the fiber. Uh, that's I think that's why why they're in the farming because because it's unique, it's different, and uh, it, it's what they like to do. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill, for taking time to talk to us. I know you're busy. You got cotton to pick, so we're going to get out of here. And uh, we appreciate very much your time and expertise. Thanks for sharing this with us. Thank you very much, Keith. Thank you for joining us for this week's AgCast. We'll be off next Thursday for the Thanksgiving holiday, but back Thursday, December 5th, with a special edition from the 85th Annual Arkansas Farm Bureau Convention.